Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning and service and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Good morning. Um, I'm Susan Marcinkus, and I am pleased to serve as your worship associate today. It is my pleasure to welcome you all to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist Hybrid Worship Service. Whether you are in the sanctuary or participating online, we're so glad you're here. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, please visit the website and find the link in the Sunday service information to view one. And as you might expect, the uh, URL or the address is wuu.org slash OOS for order of service. If you're visiting today, we offer you a special welcome. If you're on Zoom, feel free to say hello in the chat box. I have three announcements today you'll be excited to hear. Uh, one, we have a guest minister, Minister Blaylock, Max Blaylock, is from the Wesley Foundation uh, College of William and Mary, and he's the campus minister. So he'll be helping out with today's service. Directly following this service, Reverend Laura and our social justice leaders invite you to have a conversation in person and online about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We'll hold space for you to share about how you're doing and invite your ideas about how WUU can witness to our values in this moment. So please join us directly after the service. We are thrilled to announce that Ms. Kimberly Ness, Ms. Kimberly Ness will become the WUU music director beginning August 1st. Yeehaw. <laughs> Kim is currently director of choirs for Lafayette High School, having just completed her fourth year there. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree from William and Mary, where she conducted the William and Mary Chamber Orchestra and the Cleftomaniacs, as well as sang in the William and Mary Women's Choir and the Bodotot chamber singers under the direction of our own Dr. Jamie Bartlett. You can read more about her background in this week's spiral. I'm talking to you, Liz Wiley. Read that spiral. We warmly welcome her to this community. And last, our final announcement is that you're invited to share your creativity and talent. Obviously, we have a lot of jokesters with the congregation during the 2022 Fall Arts Festival to be held here from September 11th through October 16th. The theme for the festival is celebrating our connection to nature. Through visual arts, creative writing, music, and performance, we will honor our seventh UU principle, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. This is an intergenerational event in which all ages are welcome to participate. The deadline for registration is August 14th. There'll be a display in the gathering hall. For more information, you can contact Donna Stanford. And please look in the, the spiral uh, for further information. And now please enjoy our prelude, Fireflies, written and played by David Hamilton.
Thank you so much. Welcome to all friends, old friends and new, all ages, all situations. You are an essential part of our service today. We are stronger because you are with us. We are growing, all learning, all loved, just as you are. You are welcome here. Here at WUU, we are committed to treating all people with dignity, fairness, and equity. Kindness is our middle name. We are happy that you have joined us, whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration. You belong here. You are seen here. Now I invite you to say our welcoming words. These words will be projected on the screen. And please, as you say these words, know that we are connected and this is your community no matter where you are. So in you, you unison, come, come, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Well done. It is wonderful to be with y'all and, uh, and to be back here with y'all again. Uh, I'll tell you some more about myself in a little while, but for our call to worship, uh, I share with you uh, these words from uh, Anna Bladell, who is, uh, I'm just going to put it out there, uh, they have a, uh, a Facebook page and an Instagram account, and it's called Enfleshed, E-N-F-L-E-S-H-E-D, and uh, has wonderful reflections like this. Breathe, breathe, I whisper to myself. Breathe, breathe. Together we breathe. Together we conspire. When fear and grief and rage catching your throat, when sobs rise and relent in waves, when the horrors of their cold indifference, their dogma, their cruelty accumulate, when the news is too much, too fast, too heavy, may we remember we are waves, oceanic, elemental, with powers that run deep. We ebb, we flow, we rise. For every abortion provider, every clinic escort, every fierce and tender warrior of love and aliveness, confronting dominance and control in the courts and classrooms and clinics and streets and kitchen tables, I offer my deepest thanks. My witness of gratitude, my witness, our authority and responsibility lies in and with each other. For every person scrambling, desperately trying to make do, I pray accompaniment and companionship. I pray we remember the black feminist foremothers and womanist elders who have rooted reproductive justice and collective liberation making a way out of no way, teaching us that none of us are free until all of us are free. For every person having to reevaluate and reconsider dreams and longings and chapters of life yet unwritten, I pray a peace for even a moment that passes understanding. And for us, for us, for us and we and ours and all, the courage and compassion and commitment and care and conviction to make another world possible. Come, let us worship together. And I invite you to join together in worship as we share our opening hymn, We Are a Gentle, Angry People, 170 in the Gray Hymnal, 
gray hymnal. Hymnal. Sorry about that. That was lovely. Please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. The words will be on the screen, and again, you know, you, you, unison, will give it a try. And Natalie is going to light the chalice for us this morning. Fire consumes and casts a bright light. May our chalice flame consume our regrets for the past, our fears for the future, and our worries about today. May it light for us a path of joy and peace. Thank you, Natalie. Today's wisdom story will be brought to us by Eileen O'Brien. Today's story is from a book called Days with Frog and Toad. It's called Alone. Toad went to Frog's house. He found a note on the door. The note said, Dear Toad, I'm not at home. I went out. I want to be alone. Alone, said Toad. Frog has me for a friend. Why does he want to be alone? 
Toad looked through the windows. He looked in the garden. He did not see Frog. Toad went to the woods. Frog was not there. He went to the meadow. Frog was not there. Toad went down to the river. There was Frog. He was sitting on the island by himself. Poor Frog, said Toad. He must be very sad. I will cheer him up. Toad ran home. He made sandwiches. He made a pitcher of iced tea. He put everything in a basket. Toad hurried back to the river. Frog, he shouted, it's me. It's your best friend, Toad. Frog was too far away to hear. Toad took off his jacket and waved it like a flag. Frog was too far away to see. Toad shouted and waved, but it did not see or hear Toad. A turtle swam by. Toad climbed on Turtle's back. Turtle, said Toad, carry me to the island. Frog is there. He wants to be alone. If Frog wants to be alone, said Turtle, why don't you leave him alone? Maybe you are right, said Toad. Maybe Frog does not want to see me. Maybe he does not want me to be his friend anymore. Yes, maybe, said the turtle as he swam to the island. Frog, cried Toad, I'm sorry for all the dumb things I do. I'm sorry for all the silly things I say. Please be my friend again. Toad slipped off the turtle and with a splash, he fell into the river. Frog pulled Toad up onto the island. Toad looked in the basket. The sandwiches were wet. The pitcher of iced tea was empty. Our lunch is spoiled, said Toad. I made it for you, Frog, so that you would be happy. But Toad, said Frog, I am happy. I'm very happy. This morning when I woke up, I felt good because the sun was shining. I felt good because I was a frog. And I felt good because I have you for a friend. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to think about how fine everything is. Oh, said Toad. I guess that is a very good reason for wanting to be alone. Now, said Frog, I will be glad not to be alone. Let's eat lunch. Frog and Toad stayed on the island all afternoon. They ate wet sandwiches without iced tea. They were too close friends sitting alone together. So I wonder how often do we expect others to deal with happiness, sadness, disappointment, whatever it is, the same way that we would do? And how do we struggle to connect with them when they don't do as we would do? Or we misunderstand why they're acting as they do? How would it change our relationships if we sat with them just as they are and not as we would like them to be? How would it transform our relationships, ourselves, and the world? Thank you. How indeed. Please join us in a spirit of meditation, reflection, and prayer as we hold the joys and sorrows of this community. We continue to hold in our hearts the family and friends of our beloved Jane Riley. We feel her loss deeply while being grateful for the time that we did have with her. Her presence remains in this sanctuary. I invite you to return to that space of quiet within you and call on the holy in whatever words and images are the most dear to you as we enter into a shared silence.
Amen and blessed be. Each Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We give these gifts freely. We receive these gifts gratefully. We dedicate these gifts to the work of our congregation, serving human wholeness, caring for our planet, upholding religious freedom, welcoming the stranger, and loving one another. If you are joining us for the first time, please know that your presence is gift enough. Today's offering goes to our general operating fund to cover all those essential things that keep the congregation and the campus growing and thriving. You can donate on the website, give by text to the phone number on the screen, that'll pop up in just a moment, or in the chat. You can mail your check or drop it off in the basket in the entrance hall after the service. And we thank you so much. Thank you, David. That song needed no introduction. Wonderful rendition of Amazing Grace. I have a reading called The Holy Work of Showing Up by Ashley Horan. How is it with your soul? This is the question that John Wesley, Anglican priest, and the founder of Methodism was known to ask of participants in a small reflection group. I ask you because for me, this has been a hard week. So beloved, how is it with your souls? If your response to that question is anything like mine, I want to invite you to pause as you read this. Take a deep breath. Say a prayer, sing a song, light your chalice, feel the force of gravity pulling, with, uh, pulling us all toward the same center. Whatever helps you feel more rooted and less alone. Now do it again and again and again. And once you feel that rootedness and connection, hear this. You are loved beyond belief. 
You are enough. You are precious. Your work and your life matter. And you are not alone. You are a part of we, a great cloud of witnesses, living and dead, who have insisted that this beautiful, broken world of ours is a blessing worthy of a both deep gratitude and fierce protection. Our ancestors and our descendants are beckoning us, compelling us onward to a greater connection, greater compassion, greater commitment to one another and to the earth. Together, we are resilient and resourceful, enough to say yes to that call, to make it our life's work in a thousand different ways, knowing that we can do nothing other than bind ourselves more tightly together. We throw ourselves into the holy work of showing up again and again to be part of building a world of which we dream, but which we have not yet seen. Well, it is wonderful to be with y'all again. It's wonderful to, to be working with two fantastic people. Uh, David and I have work together making sure that students, faculty, and staff get fed uh, through our campus food pantry at, uh, at Wesley for many years uh, as the Burns Lake Neighborhood Association continues to do that. Uh, but, you know, I could talk about lots of things, but, and I had a plan on what I'm going to talk about, and, you know, and then things happen this week, and I'm going to hold to that plan because I don't want there to be a, you know, false advertising on what's been in the newsletter, but, uh, but we're just going to see where this goes. Um, I'm Max Blaylock. Like, uh, like was already said, I'm the campus minister at Wesley Campus Ministry, which is the United Methodist, uh, the campus ministry sponsored by the United Methodist Church. Uh, for those of you who have known me for a while, uh, you may be able to believe this, I can't, but come August, uh, my family and I will have been here for 12 years. Uh, it's, it's literally the longest I've lived in one place since college. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, we love Williamsburg and, uh, and love to be here. But I want to share with you today um, about a journey that I've been on that hopefully is going to help all of us. Uh, and before I even get there, I want to say, one, I've never begun a worship service with joke telling. So that was wonderful for you folks online with the technical difficulties we had. We told jokes, most of them very bad ones. So if you're online, be thankful. Uh, I've never done that. Uh, that is just beautiful to do. Uh, Hearing the beautiful music that's being played, uh, this still being a hybrid service, acknowledging that uh, whatever the new normal is, we are still in the midst of a pandemic, and I so respect that commitment by y'all to continue offering this for folks. Uh, so thank you so much for your commitment to that, and for, uh, Susan, for those words you just read, the holy work of showing up, oh my gosh, absolutely. So... It's already been mentioned, I think, but I'm from Alabama. Now, you might not have been able to tell that by my accent. You might have thought like most people do. You know, when people hear me who don't know me, they say, where are you from? And I say, well, where do you think I'm from? And they'll say, and they'll, usually it starts going geographically. Well, southwestern Virginia, no. North Carolina, no. South Carolina, no. And just keep going down. And I finally say, no, I'm from Alabama. But... Since we have a wonderful person here in the congregation who's from outside of Dothan, uh, which I'm from a small town, so we always say, well, outside of Birmingham, because nobody's heard of our small towns, um, my accent is North Alabama. <laughs> so it is very important to ignite the Forrest Gump accent. He was from South Alabama. I did not understand that to begin with, and you might not be able to tell the difference between a Forrest Gump accent and mine, and that does not mean that everybody in South Alabama sounds like this, or that everybody in North Alabama sounds like this, but, you know, just to be clear. And growing up 
in North Alabama, in my little town, I will tell you, it's Aniana. It's the county seat of Blunt County. Uh, it's about 40 miles northeast of Birmingham. I grew up in, I'm a lifelong United Methodist. Uh, this will, will shock many of you, I'm sure, that there were two large churches in town. You only get one guess of what the denominations were of those two churches. What were they? Baptist and? Absolutely. A friend of mine, I was working uh, in one of my previous lives, I was a middle school uh, science teacher and one of my colleagues I was talking with one time, we were teaching at a rural school north of Birmingham and, and one of the students in that school uh, said to her, said, Ms. Johnson, what are you, Methodist or Baptist? And she said, well, I'm Episcopalian. And that totally blew that student's mind, that there was something beyond Methodist and Baptist. Um, so I grew up in the Methodist church, lifelong Methodist. And growing up, you know, I, I was taught the greatest commandments, you know, that Jesus taught to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. I was taught all of those things, and as maybe some of you, as I got older and started listening to other people and having different experiences, I started noticing, well, maybe I wasn't taught it in the best possible way. That maybe the way I was taught, for instance, to love God was, that, was to really believe that, well, if folks didn't understand Christianity the way us good white folks in North Alabama did, well, they just weren't good Christians. Or, uh, you know, what does, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, you know, that, was, that, that ended up being kind of limited as far as who was actually going to be loved the way unconditionally. And that all came home to me about two years ago as far as a crystallizing experience when my high school history teacher, who's a good friend of mine, Jim Kilgore, uh, we're part of anybody here old enough or... or uh, unwise enough to, to be part of uh, Facebook groups that are like memories of whatever hometown or home, you know, place you are. Aren't they just wonderful experiences? No, no. My, 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 my group, Memories of Growing Up in Blount County, was, was basically a bunch of white people talking about how great it was when, when segregation was still in place and look at all the white people. And I was like, when is somebody going to shake up this group and do something? Well, it was Jim that did it. And Jim shared this photo that is going to, about to be up on the screen. I apologize, it can be disturbing for some of us and hopefully for all of us at some level. This is the photo that Jim shared. And if you're not able to see it clearly, either online or in here, that is a photo of the worst terrorist organization in U.S. history that existed for decades upon decades gathering on the courthouse steps of my hometown in Aniana, Alabama. It's the Ku Klux Klan, and they're in their robes and their hoods. They can't cover their faces because by this time, it was outlawed that you could cover your face in public because this time that this large gathering of Klan members is on our courthouse in my hometown is October of 1979. October of 1979, when Jim posted this, and lots of us shared it, the universal response of all of us who were white when that occurred was, we didn't even remember it happening. We didn't even remember it happening. The universal response of everybody who responded to my post or Jim's post or other posts of folks who were black in my hometown, you want to take a guess? They remembered it very clearly. They not only remembered that very clearly, they remembered that that same month, some of those same people carried out a home invasion because a black man was in a white house and kicked all the white people out of the house at gunpoint and then severely beat the black man until he needed 40-something stitches to be sewn up. Those folks who were black also remembered that that same year that my hometown's Christmas parade had a float in it done by the Ku Klux Klan. 
and that the only person who protested that anybody remembered was a black man sitting in his car waiting to cross the street once the parade was over, and he started shouting at them, and some of the folks on the float got off the float and dragged him out of the car and beat him up. Us white folks, us good Southern Baptists and Methodists, which was almost all there was, and there were some Presbyterians. Um, we didn't remember a thing. Because what we were actually taught was that love your neighbor as yourself only applied to white folks like us. Because if it had been any different, First Amendment, those folks have every right to show up on those courthouse steps. But not a single person protested any of those times except for that black man who protested the parade. Because see, for us who are white, that's not a threat. And, and for folks who are white in my hometown, I'm... I'm not naive enough to think lots of folks in my hometown were probably happy that they were there. But for folks in my hometown who were not white, this was a very clear message. Not only are you not welcome here, you're actually in danger. And that's not, and now I say, you know, and that's, and that's you know, remember with the Klan, it was, it was, if you're LGBTQIA+, if you're black, if you're Jewish, if you're Catholic, it covered all of that. But obviously this was in my hometown because of the demographics of my hometown. This was primarily targeting folks who were black. We didn't do a thing. And, and to give you, to give you the, the, the dynamic of this, this courthouse, and you can feel free to leave the photo up or take it down or whatever the spirit moves you, to give you the, the dynamic of this, and we'll bar the hymnals. Here's the, court, here's the block the courthouse is on. The block behind it and to this side is the block the Methodist church is on. And the block behind it and to this side is the block that the Southern Baptist church was on. Now granted, you know, I have to be, you know, truth in advertising. The Southern Baptist church was much larger than the Methodist church. It was Alabama. Um, Nobody did a thing. Because love your neighbors yourself did not apply to everybody. It only applied to us and folks who looked like me. Straight, white, male, cisgender, you know, some, some women too, but, you know, but, but women and folks who are LGBTQIA+, they, did, they didn't get the same rights as, as folks like me. Kind of like the way we were reminded this week. about rulings. And I want to tell you, especially standing in this you congregation, I never hold the pulpit, but I kind of feel like I need to today. Um, what's happening now in this country and is what has been happening in this country for so long the vast majority of responsibility for it rests firmly at the feet of people like me. White Christians are responsible for so much of what is happening. And don't get me wrong, you know, I'm a... I'm a Methodist. We're part of the mainline Christians. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying white right-wing Christians. I'm not saying just white evangelical Christians. I'm saying white Christians in general. And if you want to read the book on it, there is literally a book on it. It's called White Too Long by Robert P. Jones. I've been paying attention for several years on polling and, you know, especially with the rise of Trump, that in every polling that I was noticing, there was only one group you could bank on that was going to be on, from my perspective, in the largest majorities on the wrong side of every single issue, and that was white Christians. Well, Robert P. Jones, who's the executive director of uh, 
the Public Religion Research Institute, and he's from he's he's from outside of Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> and uh, he wrote the book on it. And not only looked at the past polling, he did he did present day polling, and he said, and he discovered this. He said, if somebody's looking at at us, because you might not be able to tell, but we're both white. If somebody sees the two of us and can only know one thing about us that will provide the clearest indication of our affinity for, or the likelihood of our affinity for white supremacy, the most important thing they can know about us is how strongly we identify as a Christian. The flip side is also true. If somebody's looking at us and wants to know how likely it is that we have a strong affinity for white supremacy, the, mo- the single most important thing they can know about us is how strongly we identify as a Christian. Because as he put it, white supremacy is in the DNA of white Christianity. I don't think I've said this from the pulpit before, but you know I'm in the UU congregation. <laughs> what I'm about to say, uh, I don't call myself a Christian anymore. I call myself a follower of Jesus. Wow, I'm definitely in the UU congregation. (laughs) Because white Western Christianity needs to be burned to the ground. Because there's no separating it from white supremacy. And that's why, for all of us who are white, and whether we're Christian or not, we need to really be paying attention to folks who are not white and the work they're doing and what they're saying and what they're and how they're acting and partnering with them, especially in moments like these. You know, I've spent 50-plus years of my life, I'll get, I'll get a little bit away from the pool. They told me they could track me, but, you know, I don't need to work the AV folks too much. 50-plus um, <clears throat> years of my life, I've been reading primarily white men. Well, I, I've quit that. Now, I did read Robert P. Jones. I read some folks on experts of things. But I'm primarily reading people who are not white writing about things because I need to start learning and listening to people who are not white men and learning from those perspectives. And I invite you to do the same. If you want to read more about what I just said, look check uh, Dr. Anthea Butler, uh, and I'm blanking on the name of her book. She just wrote a book about Christianity. Uh, and, you know, Ida B. Wells, I mean, uh, Ida B. Wells is... What's, what's her, who wrote the 1619 Project? That's her Twitter, that's her, uh, that's her Twitter name. Um, anyway, the 1619 Project, read that book and those essays. You know, there's, there's lots of ways for us to educate ourselves, but also there's ways for us to act. You know, some of y'all are already doing this. For some, I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, it's like, yes, showing up for Pride Fest and showing up for that. The Village Initiative that's working on education issues, you know, joining in with them here in Williamsburg. Uh, with the NAACP, with other organizations, because if we're white in the U.S., we have benefited from the injustices of the past, the present, and their ongoing. It's just a matter of a degre- the degrees to which we have benefited from it. You're going to read some books about the systemic nature of that. You can read The Color of Money, not the, book, not the movie but with Tom Cruise, the Color of Money, which is about the banking industry and access to wealth. You can read uh, The Color of Law, which is about housing and the systemic nature of denying access to housing for anybody who's not white in this country for decades upon decades. It started at the highest levels of the federal government and trickled on down to everybody else. Did you know for decades in this country, if you were building a housing development, you, you could not get a guarantee on your federal loans unless you promised that you would only sell those houses to white people for decades upon decades. The injustices are systemic. 
they're ongoing, and they're intentional. We've got a Truth and Reconciliation Commission working in Williamsburg right now. We can talk about we can talk about lots of those things. I'm, I'll, I'll wander off too far, but I want so I want to. I want to yeah, I'm already eleven o'clock. All right, ten fifty nine. Daniel would say, my youngest son. I'd say, oh, it's eleven o'clock. He said, no, Dad, it's ten fifty nine. Of course, now I look at my watch again, and now it's eleven. Uh, I want to wrap up with. I want to start wrapping up with this. Before the pandemic, I got invited by. Uh, by one of the Jewish studies professors at William and Mary, who is a uh, wonderful human being. She invited me to apply to be a part of a seminar at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum in D.C. Uh, it's a seminar, it's called Religion, Ethics, and the Holocaust. And um, thanks so much to her, I applied and I actually got accepted, which is my most excited about that of anything since I've been here in Williamsburg almost. Uh, but in that seminar, it was focused on Jews, Muslims, and the Holocaust. And um, in that seminar, one of the essays we read was by Dr. Victoria Barnett, and it was about these interfaith groups of women that worked together doing charity and justice work in Berlin in the 20s and 30s. And they started out doing charity and justice work, but with the rise of the Nazis, many of them transitioned to being resistors and rescuers in the face of the Nazis. And in her writing of that essay, Dr. Barnett said three things that continue to impact me as a person, as a, as a faith leader, as a parent, all of this. She said three things about those women and the actions that they took. She said, first, just as collaboration with the Nazis was a social phenomenon, so was resisting and rescuing. And so much of the work that those women did would have been impossible if they hadn't been doing it in commun community with other people. Two, and this is something that I have to remind myself all the time of, ethical action is always social action because it always has a wider impact than just the particular people and circumstances we're acting on at the time. And third is this and talk about something that embodies the spirit of being a UU. She said, in all the research that's been done about people who became resistors and rescuers in the face of the Nazis, there's only one characteristic that has been universal in all those people. A deep commitment to the common good that those folks knew that they were responsible for the lives, the health, the well-being of people beyond their circle of family, of friends, of faith, of ethnicity, of nationality, of race, of anything else. So that when we think about what can we do, we cultivate that in ourselves. We cultivate that in others, and we act. We act in small ways, and we act in systemic ways to do this great work to change things. And I want to remind you two more things. One, I was at a gathering recently of folks who were doing, who were working on food insecurity issues. It was actually at William and Mary, and you know what? Uh, Women and Mary students can be pretty sharp. And one of the students who organized this event asked us, said, what do you think it would take to eliminate food insecurity in our community? And I'm going to be nice today. I'm not sure why I'm being this nice on this. I'm not going to name the two organizations who went first. But the leaders of the first two organizations that spoke, both Christian organizations blamed the people who were hungry for being too stupid not to be able to get have enough food. And as me and students were talking about it afterwards, and some of us pushed back on that. I know you're not surprised that there were some of us who pushed back on that. But I was reminded of this quote from the journalist and scholar Sarah Kinzior in her book, uh, Essays from uh, Flyover Country. 
uh, she, The View from Flyover Country, it's a collection of her essays. She said this, charity as a supplement to justice should be applauded, but charity as a substitute for justice is neither charity nor justice, it is cruelty. So we act to fulfill the needs of people and we work to change the circumstances that are systemic, intentional, and ongoing to do this. And we know, like has already been shared, and we, I was, we were talking about it in back before this started. We do this work because it's what we're called to do as human beings sharing this planet together. That's enough. Because everybody deserves health care and housing and food and education, period. And especially in times like these, I want to invite you to risk friendships and family relationships and good reputations, and all those things, if it's necessary, in order to stand for justice and compassion and love and transformation. Because that way, we get to look ourselves in the mirror and look our children in the face and be able to say, our friends, our partners, whoever it is, and know that we're working together to leave this world a better place and to know that the work is its own reward. Because as some of us were talking about already, most of the work we're doing, we're never going to see the full fruition of it or the full benefits. But goodness gracious, we got to do the work. And as we've already been reminded, showing up, singing, and telling jokes, and working together is what sustains us and propels us to continue working together. So thank y'all for having me. Thank y'all for being here today. And I look forward to the good trouble we can do together. I believe I might cry. <laughs> Thank you, Max, so much. Closing hymn is Come and Go With Me. Uh, it's number 1018, 1018 in the hymnal. It will also be uh, projected up on the screens. So belt it out.
Heck yeah. Singing and justice and want to offer the benediction. May we be blessed with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships so that we may live deeply within our hearts. May we be blessed with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And may we be blessed with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that we may reach out our hands to comfort one another and turn our pain into joy. Go singing and working and doing justice. Amen. It's time to extinguish the flame, and Natalie will join us again. We'll say the words that are projected on the screen. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Let us embrace truth and love and justice and compassion. And not only embrace it in us, but let it overflow to those around us, to our family, to our community, to our friends, so that when people see us, they will know us as faithful loving friends who deep in our hearts work for the common good of all, especially those who are hurting. Go in peace and power. Amen. <laughs>